with you. As I was sitting down this week with this text, I really wasn't sure where to begin. So I decided to begin where we left off last week at the crossroads of distraction and presence, and I decided to uh, channel my inner Mary. If you haven't had a chance to hear the message last week, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to it. But I allowed myself to just quiet down and 
pay attention to what was around me. Well, guess what? It was St. Patrick's Day, so I had a few things to start me off with the week on. You see, my grandmother, Martha Henry Casanzio, she was quick to point out to us grandchildren that while there was a part of us that was Italian in heritage, there was another part of us that was wonderfully Irish. And so I sat down and looked up a little bit about this traditional holiday. And you know, I found out that a lot of what we do really has nothing to do with St. Patrick or St. Patrick's life. Uh, he was a 5th century priest who was called by God to move to Ireland to um, bring Christianity to the communities there. He built schools and monasteries. But there was one legend that I stumbled upon that actually had a little bit to do with our text today, and it was the leprechaun. So some of you have heard of the leprechaun, right? So for those of you who have, when you think of the leprechaun, what do you think of? <laughs> Mischief? What else? Lucky charm, right? There you go. That's even named, right? Because you're lucky, and you're lucky because I think I heard somebody say there was a pot of gold. What else? Leo. Say it. Clovers. Yes, clovers are a part of it. The four-leaf clovers for good luck. What's in the sky? Rainbow, Rainbow right? I even think, I think there might be a picture of it, but what do we think of? We think of the pot of gold. We think of the rainbow. Uh, here is what Wikipedia defines the leprechaun as. Uh, it is a type of fairy in an Irish folklore, usually depicted as a little old man wearing a coat and a hat who partakes in mischief. It's a solidarity creature. They spend their time mending shoes, and they have a hidden pot of gold that's at the end of the rainbow. And the thing is, if it's captured by a human, well, then the leprechaun has magical powers to grant you three wishes for the escape. I even found online that there is a children's craft that can build a trap to catch a leprechaun. And what you do is you put the, a pot down with some coins in it, and they're sure that the leprechaun will go after this gold to catch it. Yes, the leprechaun, he holds on to this pot of gold, and he's never going to give it up. He seeks to find more, and if you're lucky, you're going to find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I mean, how many times have we heard that, right? Go looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, some of our story today has some of that in it, doesn't it? Here we find ourselves in the, in the text from Luke. And our parable begins with greed. It ends with an invitation to generosity. And I think we move from greed to generosity by walking through some, some fields of gratitude and trust. So let me begin at the beginning of our story today. As we heard A.B. read, Jesus was asked a question by others about how these two brothers should divide up their inheritance. And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And then he turns and tells this parable of the farmer, the farmer who's storing up this money for himself only to have his life cut short and not being able to take it with him. Well, like the farmer and the leprechaun, they, they both seem afraid, They're afraid of losing what they have or of not having enough. And they hide their money away and they continue to try to gain more. 
Now, in our parable with the farmer, really isn't a sense of gratitude, is there? I wondered, did he appreciate what he had? Did he enjoy it? Did he ever think of using it for any other purpose? It seemed not. It, it seemed that he was only intent on building bigger barns to put it in. One writer said this, He's blind to the fact that his life is not his own to secure, that his life belongs to God, and that God could demand it back at any time. He learns the hard way what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. Quite simply, you can't take it with you. Now the thing is, the farmer is not a fool because he's wealthy or because he saves for the future, but it's because he appears to only think of himself. I mean, listen to these words. He talks only of himself to himself. Listen, he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There is this sense with this farmer that he doesn't have enough, at least not yet. And there's this, also this, this inability of his to, to see beyond himself. And he's continually striving for more. Now when you think about it, living in fear to not having enough and striving for more really isn't an unfamiliar experience for most of us, is it? I mean, the truth is, we are reminded quite frequently of our ego's need for, for more things. We are bombarded with marketing ads whose job it is to help us see how what we have is not enough, and if what you don't think you have you don't need, you do now need it, right? I mean, it's, it's so easy for us to get taken in by the things that feed our insecurities especially those insecurities that tell us what we have or who we are isn't enough. So how do we combat this sense of striving, this sense of scarcity that we build in our lives? I think it comes from fear. It's that fear of not being enough or not having enough. I mean, Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist of abundance and possessions. I liked how one writer put it. She said, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. Let me say that again. The opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. Abundance doesn't equal more equals enough. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this, in, this, in this parable. Listen to what he says. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. For they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon and all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow would be thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you little of faith. Faith is that mystery where we get to find the courage to, to step in and believe that which we cannot see. And where we can find the strength to let go of uncertainty. For that fear of uncertainty invites us to step into the mystery of faith and trust. 
And the fear of scarcity, of, of not enough, well, that invites us to lean into gratitude. And so here we are at the crossroads of anxiety and abundance. You know, Jesus uses the word worry five times in this parable. And I think it's because when we're worried, we're afraid, right? One writer said, when I'm flooded with fear or scarcity, I lean in and I try to call on sufficiency and faith by acknowledging my fear and then transforming that fear into gratitude. She says, I say, I'm feeling vulnerable right now, and that's okay. But God, I thank you for fill in the blank. Here's the thing. I believe that the Holy Spirit uses gratitude to help us move from a place of greed into a life of generosity. I mean, I really believe that, and I'm actually counting on it. And I think that's part of the invitation here for us today. But I've also realized that gratitude is more than an attitude. It's got to become a practice. One person said this on the subject of gratitude. For years, I subscribed to the notion of an attitude for gratitude. I since learned that an attitude is an orientation to a way of thinking. And having an attitude about something doesn't necessarily translate into behavior. And then she gave this really great example that I totally could get. You see, I could easily subscribe to an attitude of yoga. I can. The ideas and the beliefs of my life are very much in line with some of the essences of yoga. I believe in mindfulness. I believe in breathing and in the mind-body connection. But my attitude for yoga hasn't moved far beyond that point. I mean, I have the outfits, I have the video, and I went and bought a mat once, but I didn't like the colors, so I was waiting to find another one. <laughs> but you see, my attitude for yoga doesn't mean a thing. Because if you asked me to strike a pose right now and not fall over, I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, so I've never practiced yoga. So my attitude for it really doesn't count for much. And I think the same goes for any other practices. And that includes gratitude. While I'm no expert at it, year to year I do try to cultivate the practice of gratitude. I've learned some really wise teachers. I have gratitude journals, meditations, prayer. I even set a bell on my iPad that goes off particular times of day to remind me of the presence of God in my life. And you know when things are really tough for me, well then this practice becomes actually a healing agent for me. Sometimes I'm better with it, and sometimes I'm not, and I'll say when I'm better with it, I'm probably brighter and lighter, more generous. And when I'm not, I'm more anxious. I'm more self-centered, and like yoga, I can tip over really easily. In our story today, the man is rich, and he produced a great crop. And yet there's no sense of gratitude to God for this crop that was produced. No gratitude to the workers, the ones who may have been a part of his success. And there's no sense of generosity. I mean, he has more than enough for himself, but 
We don't hear anything about the idea or a thought of him sharing it for others or what God might be able to do through him, through this abundance that he has. I think he can't move from greed to generosity because he's not grateful. And I have to wonder if that's not what blocks our ability to live a more generous life, too. Two years ago, the children's ministry was raising money to buy a water buffalo. It was in our fall emphasis um, worship series. And they were trying to gather their funds together to express how they collectively could make a kingdom impact on, a world, on the world. And so they raised money, and it was through Heifer International. Uh, these water buffaloes, they allow farmers to plant crops that allow them to sow the field in days, what it used to take weeks for them to be able to do by hand. They could do up four times as many crops as they could without it. Now, the leader of our team thought it was a really great idea, but it was presenting some rather creative explaining they had to do with their son, who was three at the time. You see, Wilson would come home, and he was so excited about raising money for this water buffalo, right? I mean, every day he would come home, and he would talk about it and talk about it. And as the parents began to dig deeper, uh, they realized that Wilson thought the water buffalo was coming home with him. Yeah, and he thought it was going in the backyard and wondered where they were going to put it. Yeah, so Brad and Amy had to go and explain that the money doesn't go for you to get the water buffalo. It's going for other people to get the water buffalo. It was actually quite precious. You know, it's such a gift the way our children and youth ministries help our parents cultivate uh, generosity and gratitude. These parents were inspiration to me because they reminded me it's, it's never too soon to start and it's never too late. Like the rich farmer, we're, we're tempted to think that having wealth and property can secure our lives. But no amount of wealth can protect us from genetically inherited disease, that tragic accident. It can't keep our families from falling apart. In fact, it was driving a wedge between the family members and our stories today. And like the farmer, we can get caught up in the fear of holding on to that which we have. It's not that God doesn't want us to save for the future or that eating and drinking and marry is something that God doesn't want us to participate in. I mean, Jesus spent a great deal of time with people, eating, drinking, and enjoying life with them. But Jesus was also clear about where our true security lay. He reminded us that the people they were meant to live a life aligned with their desires being given over to God. That we're to trust God for what we need. And then we're to turn our hearts to our neighbors and towards God's mission to, to bless and redeem this world. So what about you? Is there something you're holding on to in your life right now? Some place that you're afraid you don't have enough or you aren't enough? Is there some fear that's keeping you from gratitude, trust, something that's holding you back from giving and living that generous life? I mean, we've heard it time and time again. Our possessions are not our own. They belong to God, and we are merely stewards of them while we're here. Jesus urges the disciples to 
Stop striving. Stop worrying about your needs. Instead, Jesus invites them to strive for the things of the kingdom. Or when we get caught up in holding on to our own stuff, to worrying about our own future, it takes away the ability for us to cultivate gratitude and to live into the generous life that God has for us. And so as I close, I invite you to hear these words that Jesus said to the disciples as if he was saying them to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that don't wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief can come near and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us pray. O oh, gracious God, create in our hearts a deep center of gratitude, a center that grows so strong in its thanksgiving that sharing freely of our treasures becomes the pattern of our existence. Remind us often how much you cherish us, especially in the hours of our greatest need. May we always be grateful for your reaching into our lives with the surprises of joy, of growth, and of your unconditional love. Amen.